0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fliplit Podcast. Uh, Today I am joined by David Toth. So David, let's start with you introducing yourself.
1: Hey, thanks Ian, it's great to be here. Well, uh, over the years I've worked in design uh, and development, doing web development and uh, HTML. I've worked for publishing companies, technology companies, and telecommunications organizations. Uh, Worked in very small companies, but for about the last 16 years I've been working in large enterprises. Uh, Doing a variety of e-learning and as well as uh, learning and development systems, mobile applications, and content delivery tools for sales and marketing.
0: Oh, cool. So just so that the listeners understand, roughly in the last couple of years when you've been working for big companies, roughly how big are these companies?
1: Uh, Well, on the telecommunications and publishing size, you know, 50,000 and 60,000, about the same for the financial institutions that I worked for. Uh, And then in about the last 10 years, I've been working for high technology companies that are more in the space of 2,500 to 3,000 employees.
0: Okay. So they are pretty big companies by your average company size. So... um, and it sounds like you've been bringing in some pretty interesting projects and obviously it related to Fliplet is enterprise mobile apps. So I think what I really love to understand from you is uh, how do you think companies can successfully start using enterprise mobile apps? And I guess obviously I understand some of your answer may also apply to other technology innovations as well.
1: Well, absolutely. And, you know, today, I, you know, I've given some thought to some of the key areas, especially in a, in a large enterprise and talking about things like advocacy and vision, you know, talking a bit about how we gain adoption of, of whether it's mobile or whether it's it's other sort of uh, newer emerging technologies, uh, how we scale that for the organization, and then how we integrate and measure that within the company. So there's some really interesting uh topics that we can that we can cover today, of really understanding how the large companies look at these problems and some of the tactics that I've used uh, in order to address them.
0: I think it's really interesting, that list of topics, Dave, because it's touching on kind of a mixture of technology and human aspects. So why don't we kick off with you telling me a bit about what you think is required by an organization from an advocacy perspective to be successful with uh, apps and innovation?
1: Well, you know, it, it sounds cliche at times, and and but it is one of those ideas where you need to have that sponsor. You need to have that that executive sponsor, that leadership who gets it. And you know, having worked in organizations that have some who uh, understand the value of these new solutions, like uh, like mobile or those who uh, who don't, and there's a very stark difference in you know, who's willing to uh, take those risks and make those investments and, and those who don't. Uh, the ones that I've worked with, with a very you know, strong leadership that was very interested in, in building out uh, mobile, uh, we had tremendous success in being able to not only build out our own solutions, but also to be able to carry that out to other parts of the organization and you know share what we learned, share uh, the uh, benefits that that we found uh, in our solutions, and uh, and help them take a step forward.
0: So, Dave, is it best to have an advocate that's focusing on the technology or focusing on business metrics? And if they're focusing on business metrics, what do you think they should be focusing on?
1: Well, that's a great question. I think that uh, when it comes to the business, that they don't have to. They shouldn't focus on the technology. You, it's it's too easy to to get bogged down in that, and and it's really not something that they need to learn. There are plenty of other technology experts in organizations and available from from our uh, vendors that, that we can rely on their skill set. Uh, really it's knowing about those KPIs and for the organization. Uh, my experience over the last 10 years has been in sales and marketing organizations, and uh, we see a whole lot more in terms of sales has very clear KPIs in terms of revenue and in terms of, you know, for all of the salespeople, the time that they're able to spend out in the field rather than time spent working within, you know, systems. On the marketing side, really understanding how you're connecting uh, with, with uh, potential customers. And uh, I think that is something that that advocate should really be focused on what's important to the business, because that's what's going to sell it even higher up at at the sea level. And so that's being able to have a person in that role that you can give them a sense of the technology demo and be able to share, and so they can see sort of how the pieces all come together, then they can be a much greater advocate for, and and they'll really also be the person to go to that can help you understand what is that real value, because you may see it as this is very cool, this is a neat tool, and will be something that people will enjoy using, but they'll be able to help you translate that then to the, the business problem of, Yes, and not only will they find you know greater satisfaction in this tool of how they use it, but they'll also spend less time at their desk and more time in front of their customer. They will be able to better mine the people that they should talk to that are going to be more likely to con- to uh, turn into a deal.
0: So, I think uh, I think what you're getting at regarding advocates is really powerful. I think. Um, Uh, I think also what's really interesting about your point regarding advocacy is how it relates to vision because what you started to kind of talk about was uh, the strategy piece. So is it that an advocate uh, needs to be like a senior manager as well or can an advocate come from anywhere in the organization?
1: An advocate can come from anywhere in the organization. Uh, you know, out here, uh, we see a lot of people in program manager roles. Uh, that's something that, you know, I've got, I'm five miles away from the head the uh, headquarters for Starbucks as well as Amazon, and most people that I know in these organizations are program managers, and they are heavily, in, very influential in helping organizations define what the path is to, to be successful. So it could be something in some organizations you're going to have a senior manager or a director, but uh, in others, it's, it may be just somebody who is uh, influential in the organization and helps guide those decisions.
0: Do you generally find that those program managers have some kind of budget control and, and maybe they have a team of resources or it's not always the case?
1: Not always the case, but uh, they are going to be the ones who are sort of laying out the plan for you know, how to execute on certain solutions. If it's something of you know, tackling a specific problem, like uh, uh, within an organization, then this is something where they, they're going to be the ones putting in the requests. They're going to be the ones making the justification for it. And uh, I think that uh, in my experience, they, they can be very influential in, in making those decisions.
0: I think it's also something to do with, you know, kind of the directors or, or the C-suite uh, generally have so much on their plate. It's very hard for them to keep up with trends. Uh, I generally find guys uh, kind of in the middle of the organization. They're able to allocate a bit more time into doing research into new solutions. And then they can take those solutions
1: and they can implement them. Is that kind of what you've seen? In great measures hire great people who they Give you know, these challenges to and have them solve it. They've, as you mentioned, they've got at the the sea the sea level and C minus one. They've got plenty of other things to worry about. They've got teams of you know tens, maybe you know hundreds of people uh, beneath them that they don't necessarily have time to be you know, considering these things at a, on a detailed level. So being able to you know condense you know consolidate that uh, that information and provide those recommendations. Can certainly make their job a whole lot easier
0: so do you think kind of coming on to the next point that you mentioned uh, vision do you think that this advocate needs to have this clear vision at the very beginning or do you think that it's all right for an advocate to uh, have a, a partial vision and then kind of um, uh, foster it or evolve it over time <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's certainly going to evolve. I know that you know in in the solutions that we've put together for mobile applications, what we started with and what that grew into was was uh, significantly different. Uh, I know in in our experience you know, working with Fliplet, that it started with you know a simple marketing app for a conference, and we thought, well, this is great and this is very you know very helpful. But that quickly evolved into this is something that can help support uh, do sales enablement. This is something that can be used for all of our events to be able to uh, to reach out to our uh, employees, partners, customers who are coming to us and being able to engage with them uh, at, a, at a deeper level.
0: Um, okay, so we've got the advocate, and we've got uh, a vision that evolves over time. So how does this now lead to adoption? How do these new technologies actually take off in an organization? Um, what's the what's the kind of first thing that an organization who's trying to adopt, say, uh, enterprise mobile apps should be doing?
1: Well, as we found, uh, it was really starting with just finding a couple of solid business cases that really worked for us and and were able to show value that was appreciated at higher levels. Once we had that initial sort of, weird that we, we had shown that we were capable of building something of, you know, that was effective and that people found valuable, then we found ourselves being uh, uh, contacted by other organizations saying, "Hey, that's really neat. How do I do that?" Because this is something that has not been you know offered in the organization, and very quickly you find yourself becoming a hub in this in this this model, and that's where you know a lot of companies use the the, the model of sort of a center of excellence, a place where people can come to in order to have questions answered and to seek assistance when leveraging these technologies. Often with that comes building menus of the services you offer. In my case for mobile apps, it was, well, Here's we can build event apps, we can build uh, maybe something that you can take to a conference so that you can share information with people out on the floor, or maybe it's something about uh, something to enable your team, whether they're sales engineers or maybe account managers, that you want to have very specific information in a mobile app available to them. By being able to create some guardrails around this, that helped us to, uh, one, not make every time that somebody you know wanted to adopt this new technology, it, it helped prevent it from becoming a custom solution every time. It became something that, when they came to us, we could offer a set of options. They could choose from those options, and then, and if it worked for them, great. If it didn't, well, we could continue to, you know, that conversation. But the um, as we helped, as we continue to uh, develop, you know, these technologies, we're able to share them across these groups as well. And I think that sharing is huge because in in too many organizations, they become compartmentalized. People don't want to share and then you kind of feel like you're, you're going at it alone. If you have a really good sort of center of excellence model, you're able to share those, uh, the, what you've learned and share those efforts that you've done over time with the rest of the organization.
0: Mm. Who are the people that would usually make up the center of excellence based on your experience?
1: Well, it was a variety. You would have uh, often, you know, many of the practitioners with the app, with the solution. So in the case of, of Fliplet, uh, you would see... People who were uh, the ones who were actually hands-on. You would also include uh, some of those uh, those sponsors and advocates that we talked about earlier, because these are the people that could help when you know somebody maybe uh, another uh, say a program manager at another level comes in and wants to uh, says this is really interesting, but I've got to convince my boss that this is really the best way to go. Well, when you know senior leadership on my team can go and talk with somebody else and say, oh yeah, this is. This has been great, and let me tell you about how it's been valuable to me as a in, in, within the business. That's incredibly important.
0: So it sounds to me like you need a concentration of of skills that then creates best practices, um, and that they then kind of almost coming back to your earlier point, they become advocates, and and it fosters this vision because as an organization creates more. Uh, more with the technology, more uh, apps in this case, uh, m- more of the organization becomes aware of what the, the technology could be doing for them. And then that kind of breeds further. It, 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 actually, the word viral keeps popping into my head as you've been talking. It's like an, a little internal company viral model. Would you agree?
1: Um, I would. I'm not, yeah, the viral model always sort of gives me the creeps a little bit, <laughs> but, but it is true. It is. It's like it's getting a foothold and that sort of success begats success. That you you know once when you have a group that is doing well with something and then you can you know add another group and another group and that was always our experience you know, with this was just being able to iterate through and find you know the best solution for each new group that we added which usually then had a little bit different perspective and then they brought something else back to the group so it's uh, it, it 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 it's a very interesting model in terms of be helping people adopt these solutions and and also gaining uh gaining from their experience
0: so what's the difference then because you know the next point that you mentioned earlier is scaling yeah. so um, what's the difference between gaining adoption um and scaling
1: scaling i think of more so in just your capacity you know when we if we have you know i think of some of our previous implementations of, of different solutions where all of the uh Capabilities and all this skill were in a very very small group. Take uh, take business intelligence. That was something that I've seen in a number of companies where the it's usually two people who are really great at say like Oracle BI or something like that. And now you have an entire organization of three thousand people just hitting away at these two people, saying, "I need a new da- dashboard. I need a new report. I need to you know do a new data extraction from this new system." and very quickly you find that it's almost impossible to get anything done, or you spend your life doing you know, uh, uh, sort of business plans to try and you know, to really convince that this, your solution is so, so much better than anybody else's, and so you never get a chance to just give it a try. And experiment with it. So I think that you need to have, you know, not to say that you know internal DevOps teams are fantastic, but sometimes you also need to farm out and use solutions like, in our case, that's where where Fliplet was particularly helpful was being able to create something where, with low risk, somebody could go out and give it a try. Try something for your next event, and let's see how it goes. Try this for you know your next uh, executive briefing, and this is something that's going to help you sort of you know take it up a step. And I think that's the part of scale that I that's really important is that if people are interested in doing it, having the resources available to them because it's no it's no. No good to an organization to say, "Oh, wow! Here's a really fantastic tool, but you'll never ever be able to use it because you know uh, this the CIO has decided what they're going to be doing with these resources for the next five years."
0: So I think I think if I'm correct in uh, in understanding what you're saying, you you're saying. Gaining adoption is related to the organization almost embracing the technology and starting to use it and then becoming smarter about how they use it. Scaling is related to, that's great, but if you're going to really ramp how you utilize the technology and also give yourself enough space to figure out how you can use it more broadly, mm-hmm. scaling is related to allocation of resources, Uh
1: definitely like a runway of just how much space do you have in order to, you know, do the things that you need to do. And, uh, that's, that's, I think that's a, that's a good, uh, sort of wrap up of that.
0: So what happens if it's the inversion of that? What happens if you have lots of people gaining adoption, but you don't have enough resources? Have you have you ever been in a situation where that's
1: happened? Uh, lots of adoption, but uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been right smack in the center of that, and it's not pretty. Um, yeah, you you end up with oh, and and unfortunately, what can happen in situations like that is that people you know people move on. That they look and they say, "Wow, this is really fascinating. I'd love to do this." And they keep calling for you know two three months, and you say, and you unfortunately have to keep saying, "Well, we don't have we don't have the capacity." And they move on and they forget about it and then it then that sort of becomes part of the organizational mindset of we tried that but it was impossible to ever get it done, which is just an awful reason, you know, not to be able to do things, you know, just because of resources rather than it actually wasn't a good solution.
0: That's fascinating. So that kind of like uh, suggests that if if any of these points that you're discussing, uh, the next kind of stage in the cycle doesn't happen smoothly. Actually, the whole process comes crashing down because if you had advocacy and a vision and adoption happening, but no resources to then um, continue to support further adoption and further uh, implementation of the vision, it's like, why did you do the earlier stages? Is that fair? Oh
1: yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely fair, and I've and I have I've seen that happen in too many situations where uh, so much so much diligence went into those earlier uh, stages, but then not being able to keep up with the demand. Uh, was something, and I mean, we see it in, you know, day to day, and you know, if, if uh, on a website that all of a sudden it doesn't, you know, if it's running great and, you know, fantastic, you've put all this great effort into it, only to come to the website and find that, you know, it won't load, and you say, ah, forget about it, and you walk away, and uh, you know, all, all of that investment for not.
0: Mm, and that's really interesting as well. That example because you're suggesting that it's not just to do with human resource. It could also be in, in that example. It was like server resource or mm-hmm. or uh, performance. Um, mm-hmm. So, so how do, the next point that you mentioned was integration. How does that relate to all of these points?
1: Well, integration is really as as we look at this the tools today we've got you know the major players like salesforce and microsoft and oracle and they are you know in, in large enterprises they are there and they are they are they are firmly entrenched and they and i Entrenched often comes across as negative, but that they are the ones that have the scale to do you know, the things that these large businesses need. The problem is, is that they are often not the not very intuitive, and they're difficult to sort of find the information that's relevant to you, or to be able to have to focus and have a curated you know experience of like the content that you need or the the information that you need to to uh, derive from these systems. So that's where. Integration is going to be key for you know as as we've worked together on you know, mobile apps that integrate with Salesforce.com. Um, I was also recently at a uh, it was a SharePoint Saturday out at the Microsoft campus where we were talking about building Angular.js connectors to be able to reach into uh, SharePoint and pull out uh, pull out assets from SharePoint and deliver them in either you know a web uh, website or a mobile app and. That's where you know, the 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 real genius of the of mobile apps you know, comes uh, is it becomes apparent is when you can say I can show you like 95 percent of the things that you need to make a decision right here uh, in this app and not having you go out and dive through SharePoint and not having you go and search through Oracle to find that that uh, you know opportunity information or that that customer information from the opportunity in Salesforce. Uh, that that's really, that's the future of all of this. It's actually not the future, it's the present of all of this, that you you need to be able to find the, the key information that needs to be brought together into that, that one place.
0: So let me ask you a question that's about the exact inverse mm-hmm. of what you just described. Mm-hmm. So what happens if an organization takes a new technology, takes mobile, and then doesn't do the integration? What's the outcome there?
1: Uh, now, there's, I'm sure, the... The, in my experience, what I see in, in situations like that is you end up then devoting resources, uh, you know, human resources, to maintaining something like uh, like the mobile app of going in on a weekly basis and making modifications. Uh, the and whereas the the alternative is that if you do these integrations, you're able to just draw that the the current content from the sort of system of origin. I think that. And I think that that's also you know, what also very much happens with human resources is they get pulled away and they go to other other things. They get drawn to other uh, other challenges. And the problem then is that the mobile app that you have becomes stale and it becomes something that you know people don't want to use because it hasn't been updated in two months. So these integrations really help keep the data current and they also, that uh, people know that the most up-to-date information will be there, then they're, they're gonna use it.
0: I also think that you know, in one of the projects that we worked on together, which you mentioned uh, re- used Salesforce integration, yeah. I kind of got the impression the reason why we were doing that is for currency, as you suggest, but it was also because what we didn't want to do is have to go and implement a big change management project and get 20 people in the organization to learn how to use something new. Uh, if we integrated with Salesforce, which everybody was already comfortable doing, we didn't have to go and teach those 20 people how to do something new. They would just do what they were already doing, and then the app would magically get updated. So do you, do you see that as also kind of one of the key reasons, or, or do you think that that's really just driven by the fact that you want currency in your app?
1: That. I, that is accurate. I think that anything that you can do to take away learning another another system, I think that it's something that even in a WYSIWYG environment, it's still something different. It also means that you have to push out you know new releases of that uh, app every time you make those changes. But if it's data-driven, you can send out one version of the app and people will be able to uh, use that for the next year without any changes. It's just the underlying data that changes. Um, and I think that is you know, being able to make it simple as well that if somebody says, hey, I would like to feature this you know, piece of content within the app, no problem. With its simple tag, we can have that content added. That's just worth its weight in gold. And you know, that it's, it's rare that things are that easy. And when you can make it that easy, you know, you, you're bound. You know, and you know, this kind of brings us back towards you know, the sort of advocacy and adoption that people say, wow, I want to build one of those because that was easy.
0: So moving on to your final point about measurement. So I guess one of the things that I regularly find a little bit surprising when we're talking to customers about uh, enterprise mobile apps is the lack of understanding about what an organization should be measuring. So do you have an opinion on what organizations should be measuring maybe at the beginning and and maybe as they mature
1: well, I think when it comes to measurement, uh, our, that's how our mobile story began. We were having a, 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 an event for employees, and we wanted to measure what those employees thought about the, the session content and the overall event. So it was a really great way of being able to gather gather feedback. But very, it's rather really rather you know basic sort of what you would usually do with like SurveyMonkey or or something like that, but put right in front of you, you know, and something that could. You know, remind you while you were at the event. It also got rid of all the paper and uh, all of the you know, sort of printed materials that we would usually you know do to support an event. Uh, beyond that, you know, as we started to you know use the the apps more. It was helping us see what kind of content people found most interesting, and that was something that uh, was very helpful in terms of how we did, you know, plan the content for not only internal consumption, but also for, for content marketing uh, for public public resources, public content.
0: So it's interesting because I also know from our experience working together that, uh, that sometimes uh, you can generate too much data, you can measure too many things, you mm-hmm. can overwhelm people. So, I mean, is there, is there not um, like a, a plus and a minus almost in relation to measurement and how do you think organizations should pr- approach it?
1: Well, one of the you know I, I worked with a uh, an analytics group uh, recently, and one of the things that was the best advice and the most frustrating advice that they gave that they always came back to me with was, well, well, what's your question? And I would say, well, I, well, here's the data. You guys tell me something great. And in reality, they would say, but what do you want? What do you want to know here? And if you can sort of take that step back and say, I want to know were people satisfied with this event that we put on. Okay, great. And then you can sort of pick from those pieces of those data points that you have in that data model that you've created to find out what it is that you need. Because, as you said, there is tons and tons of data. And if you, it's better, far better to come at it from the angle of I'd like to know how I could do my business better. If that was something like uh, I want to know if this content is connecting with my customers. Good. Well, let's look. Are they downloading it? Are they reading it? Are they subscribing to this? Do they? Do they want to show up for a webinar? You know, these are all really you know, key points on the marketing side for you know, to, to seeing if somebody is a lead, on the customer satisfaction side, maybe seeing if your current customers are engaged and they want to learn more about what's what's available in the new release. And so these are there's some interesting points, but I think again, you know, if you can elevate it to the, the 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 business and what they're looking for in success, that'll definitely help you in sort of finding those questions, which will then say, Okay, show me the data that's relevant to those questions. Mm.
0: So, in in uh, in the interest of summarizing, it it sounds to me that like almost all of your points, Dave, interlink with each other. So we had advocacy, which leads to creating a vision, which leads to creating adoption, which well, you know, if adoption is seen as a positive thing will lead to increased scaling, uh, then usually integration removes some of the friction of scaling even further and automates, say, some manual processes, which leads to the creation and collection of more data, which in turn probably leads to increased adoption, changing your vision, and the loop starts all over again. Would you agree with that?
1: It is. is, It's an ongoing process, and that's, you know, you're... you're, uh... I I think that uh, it's one of those situations where you're only as successful as your last win, and so you you do have to constantly keep doing this. You measure it, numbers go down, and it's okay. Numbers do go down, and that's something, you know, in our culture we have to, we, we should get better at realizing that things, you know, if things are always going up and uh, and to the right, then, you know, Maybe you're not measuring exactly the right thing, or maybe there's there are areas you should be looking at more carefully. But that is exactly the case here: that it loops through over and over. You measure it, and then you go back again, and uh, you start to see how you can expand that into other areas of the business.
0: So, Dave, where can people keep up with you if they want to, you know, get in touch, maybe ask you some questions?
1: Sure, people can always reach me on LinkedIn. Uh, just David Toth, T-O-T-H. And, uh, yeah, that's where you can find me.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us on today's Flip
1: Flip podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure, Ian.